You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. It is great to see all of you here today, and uh, as Pastor Austin alluded to, we're taking an offering for those victims down in Florida, working through Convoy of Hope, which is an Assemblies of God uh, arm of relief. They have semis and warehouses that they actually set up and prepare in advance, so oftentimes they're on site within 24 hours with some significant relief, and uh, one of the cool things is this. They always try to find a church to operate the base of service out because they recognize that people just don't need food and water. They need relationships in those crises. So they always look to set up the relief center associated with a church campus. And so that's really, how many know you have more than just food and water on your mind, right? So anyway, if you can give to that, we would appreciate it. Today seems a little ironic. Flourish under adversity, and we know that there's a significant part of our nation that was hit with this. And sometimes uh, flourishing is a challenge. And one of the things I'll tell you this for myself, uh, last week I spoke on Daniel chapter 1. Today we're looking at Daniel or uh, uh, Genesis chapter 26. Uh, those are my, my two favorite uh, chapters for this particular reason. I think it speaks to our context today. Because we're being called to thrive in, in, in uh, communities and in our nation that sometimes espouse values that aren't in harmony with what we do. But that doesn't mean we go into a bunker mentality. We have to figure out how to make it work anyway, don't we? So come on, everybody stand if you would, and we're going to read from Genesis chapter 26, verses 1 through 33. Everybody relax, we're not reading 33 verses this morning. I'm just, I have select verses that we'll be reading from so that you get the gist of the story. So let's begin in verse 1. Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. Isaac planted crops in that land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. Meanwhile, Abimelech had come to him from Gerar with Ahuzeth, his personal advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his forces. Isaac asked them, why have you come to me since you were hostile to me and sent me away? They answered, we saw clearly that the Lord was with you, so we said, there ought to be a sworn agreement between us. Between us and you, let us make a treaty with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we did not harm you, but always treated you well and sent you away peacefully, and now you are blessed by the Lord. 
Holy Spirit, as we look at the Word today, I pray that we can learn, grow, develop. I pray the inspired Word will inspire us. Help us to see new dimensions of possibilities. Help us, God, to dream new dreams of potentiality in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 The Lord bless you. Be seated. So I started this series actually in the Gospel of Mark. Now we're looking at some other texts, and especially as it relates to today, you will probably hear some things that I've said over the last previous message, messages. Now, there'll be some new material in this, but you'll hear some similarities. Why? Because what I want you to see is, is there are some principles that transcend a culture and a time. They work all the time, everywhere. Last week, I spoke about Daniel and how he was faced with the challenge of thriving and flourishing in the, in the, nation, in, in, in the nation of Babylon. So now, we're talking about the Philistines in Genesis, which is another time period, another culture. But you're going to see some similarities. And the reason we're doing it, I'm going to give you some comments that I shared last week to set up today's text, but it's the same intro. One of the key elements for followers of Christ is this, is we're called to flourish. That's part of, the, that's part of who we are. That's what we are. Jesus said, Let your, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And so we have to recognize there's no room for a bunker mentality as followers of Christ. Flourishing means to move beyond the mentality of just surviving. It is impacting every dimension of life around us in a positive way, regardless of the circumstances. I, listen, I'm not saying that you can't, I know there's some people who have this goal. I want to live off the grid. I, I want to create my own, I want to have my own well, my own electric. God bless you. You hear me? Just make sure that doesn't translate into you going off the grid and not touching anybody else's life and not being of service to people. I understand that. I'm okay with it when you talk about, hey, I want to be more self-sufficient, but that doesn't relieve us of the responsibility to stay in community and touch people's lives. Followers of Christ don't crawl into a hole and watch the world go to hell and never raise a hand to help. In fact, it's just the opposite. We sometimes lead the charge because nobody else will step in. We go do things when nobody else will. We respond in ways when everybody else says, run, the followers of Christ say, no, I don't run, I help. When people are bailing, the followers go the, Christ go the other direction and say, I'm staying, I'm helping, I'm going to serve people. So make sure that you don't disappear. And everybody said amen. amen. Sounds like I got most of you on that one. Some of you are still under conviction. We'll work with it. Because culture is ever-changing, the followers of Christ must have an adaptability factor. How we approach things today, the tools and the resources we have, radically different than what they were 100 years ago. So there's this constant addressing of how do we use what we have available to us? How do we do what we are called to do in the unique circumstances and times that we are. How do we do? We're constantly having to adapt. But here's a couple things. If we aren't careful, we'll create a doctrine of we need a friendly culture in order to flourish as followers of Christ. I'll make a case to you on the scripture. Did you know that some of the most significant impacts that the followers of Christ made were not when things were ideal, it was just the opposite. 
David made an impact not because there was peace and harmony with the Philistines. In fact, the Philistines were breathing down his neck. And he said, everybody else is running from Goliath, but I won't. How about I run to Goliath? We see story after story of where followers of Christ, they didn't have ideal conditions, they didn't have ideal resources, they just said, hey, maybe it's me who makes the stand, and maybe it's me who starts to change the momentum. I don't know, but I'm going to be different. I'm not responding the way everybody else. Listen, I thank God for friendly culture when it's friendly. But I think anybody with any kind of uh, awareness, you would recognize people who espouse Christian principles right now are finding themselves more and more marginalized, more and more what I call, and I, I don't mean this in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a conspiracy way, I'm just saying, but even targeted. Like, I can't believe you people still adhere to that stuff. I can't believe you guys are so archaic in your understanding after all the stuff that we have learned and all the stuff we know. And I'll just, I've said this before, I always have a standard answer. I said, listen to me, I'll take facts, but right now you're talking about experimentation. Be careful about, you're, you're doing a social experiment. You have no historical record, you have no historical facts, and you have no data to prove that what you're doing is the right. You're experimenting, and you're just hoping that it all works out. And the problem I have is, is you're experimenting with people. You're, you're, you're putting them on the precipice of being ruined. I don't think you experiment with people's lives. I don't think you experiment with children. You protect children's innocence, but you don't experiment with it. Yeah, that was for me today to give to you. So just because things are different does not relieve us of that mandate to flourish. So we're going to look at the story of Isaac. Now let me tell you what's happening with Isaac. We read a lot of the, few of the verses in the context of the story let me just kind of set the stage maybe in a unique way. God calls him to go to a culture. Number one, they're Philistines. They're already on a whole different page of morals and values and priorities than he, than he is. And God says, I want you to go live among the Philistines. So they already have a whole different value system. Secondly, you see in the story it says they're in a famine. If you read on down in the, in the passages that we'll be addressing later, it says that they had stopped up the wells. Now, I'm no scientific genius, but let me just tell you, if you have a famine, you don't stop up the wells. Isn't that an aha moment? But I'm here to tell you, that's what it read. And it says that Isaac went around and he unstopped the well. Not only did he find new water, it says he unstopped the wells. It's like, well, there's a genius move. But I'm here to tell you, let me tell you something. Sin clouds simple judgment. It's, it's so simple. But sin will mess you up. So they're in a famine and they're stopping, the Philistines are stopping up. And then here comes Isaac, living by a whole different value system, and God begins to bless him. And instead of going, we need to learn from this guy, they are fearful of him. Not just because he's growing and prospering, but because his values are different than theirs. And they say, we need to get this guy away from us. Instead of saying, here's a guy we can learn from, they try to send him off and get him away. Anybody see any parallels today? Yeah, we're not, there's nothing new under the sun. 
We're seeing some of the same, it's just the different, it's a different culture, it's a different time, it's a different type of education, it's a, it's a different system, but we're seeing some of the same things replay over and over and over. So let's begin to look at these. Number one, read it out loud. God, now that was point number one last week if you were here. And what I want you to see is some of these principles transcend cultures and it's the same way here. It says there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abraham's time, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerir. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. So let me tell you what the default position is in this particular part of the world. In times of famine, everybody knew they could go to Egypt because of the Nile would always have that flood stage which would flood the uh, crops in the area with new topsoils and minerals. So everybody knew that even in famine, the Nile was still flooding and there was still a harvest. When they did have a famine in Egypt, it was always associated with pestilence or some type of disease. But they always had, they always had resource. This is where Joseph, later on in the book of uh, Genesis, when he saw that there was going to be a worldwide famine, he went, the world is coming here. Because everybody knows the Nile is a reliable source of, of food, and it's also always a bumper crop. It's go, they're going to be showing up here, and we need to be ready for them. And what does God tell, tell Isaac? Don't go to Egypt. And you're kind of like, well, yeah. Why would I relocate from a famine to another country that has a famine? God, we're not solving the problem. <laughs> Of course we're going to Egypt. God says, no, I don't want you to go to Egypt. The activity I have for your life, Isaac, it's, in, it's with the Philistines. Now, most of us, if we were in Isaac's shoes, would be going, really? Uh, Philistines are pagans. They're heathens. They are totally opposite in values and morals and everything. God, how can you be there? Uh, by the way, they're having a famine too, God. That's a lot of money to move and a lot of effort to move from this famine to merely relocating to another famine. That God, don't know if you know economics, but that's not what people do. You try to move to better your life, and you're telling me to go to the Philistine country. And God says, I'm there, because he says, look at this, verse 3, stay in this land for a while. So he says, I don't want you checking into a motel. I want, you to buy, I want you to buy a house. You're going to be there a while. So don't rent. Don't check in the motel. You're going there, and you're going to stay a while. It says, stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. He's saying, I am there, and you need to go there because what the activity I have for your life is there. Let me, let me just tell you something. God doesn't call us to run from problems. Sometimes he tells us to move to them. And most of us would go, well, yeah, I, somehow I just don't feel a confirmation on that right now. <laughs> no. God doesn't always tell us to move from problems. Sometimes God tells us to move to them because he has something. So number two, read this out loud. Respecting previous spiritual momentum clarifies today's spiritual realities. What I've noticed is this. Sometimes as human beings, we think that there is nothing that happened in the world until the day we were born. 
We act like the day that we were born is when humanity got discovered. Most of us, we don't, we say, well, I don't like all that history. But well, you got to learn history because it tells you about a momentum that preceded you and the momentum which you were born into and the momentum that you will either continue or the momentum that you need to change. Sometimes we are born with a momentum that should change. But I can't do that if I don't know what's happened. So I say this in history. We've got to learn the good and we've got to learn the bad. I can't fix something if I don't know what was wrong. So by teaching something that happened in our history that's bad is not endorsing it. It's a warning to the next generation. Don't make that mistake. Don't mess it up. This is what happens. So we need to learn both the good and the bad. So notice what he does with Isaac. He says, stay in the land for a while. I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will call, give all these lands and will confirm the earth. Notice, I swore to your father Abraham. Did you know that Isaac hadn't even been born when, he got, when God gave Abraham the promises? And yet, Isaac is born into the momentum of a promise that was given to his dad. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And I will give them all these lands, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands and my decrees and my instructions. Later down, much later in the story, verse 24, he mentions the spiritual momentum that Isaac has stepped into. That night, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the Lord, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid. For I am with you, I will bless you, I will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Notice how God is the one who keeps bringing up the historical uh, backdrop of the spiritual momentum that started with Abraham. And he says, Isaac, you are a part of this momentum. In fact, you are tasked with continuing this momentum. He says, in fact, the promises I gave to your dad, Abraham... Now continue on with you. And the conditions that were on your dad are the same conditions that are on you. So what, how does this affect us today? I think this is critical for us to learn how to understand previous spiritual momentum so that we know where we are today. Because if I don't know what's preceded me, I can't understand what's happening in front of me, and I'm going to be really confused about where, I am to, where I'm to go tomorrow. Because what happens is this. When I, know my, when I know the momentums of the past that have been handed to me today, from that to where I am creates a straight line, and then it's real easy to continue that line into the future and go, now I know where I'm headed. Now I know what I'm doing. Let me give you an example of this. Well, how about this? Let me give a warning, and then I'll give you an example. If we're not careful, we can tell testimonies in a way that don't, testimonies, if we're not careful, we can tell it in a way that sounds like God's activity is now over. And we need to make sure that we tell testimonies as part of a continuum of God's activity. In other words, there's a way to tell a testimony that seems to close the door that God has now done. And you can tell that same testimony in a way that says, and there's a vision assigned to this testimony. God told the testimony of Abraham and didn't close the door. He told the testimony in a way that had a vision that was continuing to come. This happens in churches all the time. Some of you may have come from a church like that. Some of you may have read a book about a particular place. 
And so let me just say this. If you are a part of the bridge and you've been a part of the history of this church, saying going back even beyond five years, let me give you a warning. How many want to hear the warning? Good. I'm talking to those. I know of God's faithfulness. I was a part of that story. But if we're not careful, we will tell our story in such a way to new people today that we make it sound like, oh, the best days that God ever did something at the bridge. You should have been here seven years ago. (laughs) Now you're just showing up when we're just living off the cream of the crop. But let me tell you what he did seven years ago. And you know what he did seven years ago is an amazing story. But you're telling the testimony in a way that sounds like God's activities now has been closed. That God's activity is now historical, not present day. That God's activity has no future. We need to tell our testimony so that we learn from the past, but it projects a future. We need to tell our testimony in a way that projects a vision. Let me give you an example. Man, you should have been here seven years ago when we were going through some tough stuff. You should have been here six years ago. But let me tell you something. I watched God be so faithful to us. So faithful. So many things that God, God swung doors that we were told God, it would, they would never open for us. That they would never happen. That it could not happen. That we were wasting time and we were wasting resources and we were wasting human effort. And I watched God open those doors. And based on that, I can't wait to see what he does in the next seven years. Do you all see what I just did? And I I mean that from the bottom of my heart. His past activity should cast an excitement and a vision for our future. Not, well, you know, now that we're over the hump. Oh, no, 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 no. No. I just think that was the start of it. I don't think that was the harvest. I just think that was the first season. I think there's more seasons to come. I don't think this is the final harvest. I think what we're seeing in this building are nothing but seeds. Oh, wait till these seeds sprout up. You, have, you just think you've seen a harvest. I'm telling you, I just think this is all seed planting. Okay, Pastor Greg's the only one excited about that today. Yeah, so we do learn from our past, but we're careful in how we talk about it so that it doesn't close the fact that there's more momentum and more vision and more direction because I'm here to tell you, I believe that with all my heart. Based on what I've seen him do, sorry for the English, you ain't seen nothing yet. (laughs) I know a guy with his doctorate should sound a little more articulate than that, but I don't know how else to say it. You ain't seen nothing yet. And everybody said amen. Amen. Number three, read it out loud. Obedience. Obedience brings new dimensions of God's blessing. Did you know that after he moved there, God did not bless him? (laughs) Talk about a contradiction. Wow, God, I moved here. I went from one famine to this famine. Here I am, and you're doing zero. Like right now, how many have ever told God today would be a great day for a mysterious check to show up? Has anybody ever prayed that? (laughs) God, if there was ever a day that a check was coming in the mail that I was not expecting it, today's that day. (laughs) You just, 
yeah, he moves there and nothing happens, nothing changes. Why? Let me give you the backdrop. And then we'll pick up the story. Isaac saw the way the men of the Philistine country were looking at his wife and he came to the conclusion, they might try to kill me to have her. So he goes to his wife and says, I don't like the way everybody's looking at you around here. It makes me feel vulnerable, like they may want to kill me so they can have you as a wife. So I want you to go around and just tell everybody that you're my sister. How many know that'll put you in counseling right away? Yeah, let me just give it to you guys. Men, never do that. Never, never, never call your wife, never introduce your wife as your sister. Just don't do that. It's just bad. But he does, and he plays it out. Now, it doesn't say, because of what happened in Abraham's life, we sometimes jump to the conclusions. It never says the king of the Philistines took her. It doesn't say any man took her. This was just a safe zone thing for Isaac. And so, uh, Isaac has his wife in private in a courtyard, and the king sees how he's relating to her and realizes that the way that he is relating to her, he goes, that's not brother and sister. That's husband and wife, and that, guy, that, guy, that guy's lied to me. And he calls in Isaac to confront him. Now notice, notice this, so this is where we're picking up the story. Then Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the men might have slept with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. Wow, the pagan has more morality than the man of God. Whoa. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people, anyone who harms this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. So there was the protection that Isaac wanted, but he felt like he had to compromise to get it. Now catch this. Isaac planted crops in the land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed. When he got it right at home, God blessed him in public. Do you see the same year? Ah. God says, you get your house in order. If you get your private world right, I'll handle your public life. But don't, don't, don't try to do the public thing when your private's not in order. And he confronts Isaac about his private world and uses a pagan king to confront him about his private world. And so once he gets it right, then God says in this year, and notice this, because the Lord blessed him. The the man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks, herds, and servants that the Philistines envied him. I've got to point something out on this. When I say new dimensions of God's blessings, do you see how God helped Isaac to diversify? He wasn't just a farmer, he was a rancher. Because it says here he got a hundredfold in his crops, right? But it also says 
that his flocks multiplied and his herds multiplied. God was helping him to diversify in his, in his portfolio. And he says, I'm, I'm going to bless you on everything that you're doing. You're not just going to be a one-dimensional guy. You're going to be multi-dimensional. I'm going to bless you. And catch this. And servants that the Phil and, and blessed his servants that the Philistines envied him. Do you see the word servants? Because of his growth, he had to keep hiring people. It doesn't say slaves, it says servants. Think about it. Well, where is the human capital that he's hiring? Philistines. God just didn't bring him there so that he could grow. He says, I'm going to use you to solve the Philistine problem. You're going to be a Philistine employer. Why is that? Now catch this. Because the Philistines won't come to a Bible study. Philistines aren't going to come to the church. Philistines won't go to a prayer meeting. But you offer a Philistine a job when he's unemployed and he'll show up first thing tomorrow and through that employment the philistine learns the difference between how a philistine runs a business and how a man of god runs a business and he begins to notice that the man of god doesn't rip people off the man of god is honest in his business dealings the man of god doesn't have to cheat to get wealthy he doesn't have to cheat to grow Man of God takes care of problems that the customer didn't even know was a problem, but because he's a man of God, because he has a man of conscience, he takes care of the problem. And eventually the Philistine's going to go in and talk to the man of God and says, I don't understand why you do all this. Because, I mean, after all, they're, they're never going to know. They don't know they got an inferior product. They don't know there's a problem. I mean, just move on. They, why do you do? Fixing the problem is going to cost you more money. You could have told that customer to bug off. Why didn't you? Why did, why did you keep doing it? Why do you make decisions to do things when sometimes it costs you money? And the man of God has a real easy, or a woman of God, man of God, has a simple response. Because my work is worship, and I'm not going to rip one of God's kids off to get ahead. Now the Philistine starts to be introduced to the concepts of who God is. So your God is in the business dealings. Yeah. Your business, your employment, your work ethic is their Bible study. Because they're not coming to the one, they're not coming to your connection group. Because they go, oh, I don't know, I know what you're trying to do there. I know what that's all about. Well, you ought to come to the Bridge Community Church. Oh, no, I know what you guys are trying to do in there. You're all about making converts. <laughs> but when they see that your work ethic is different and that you disciple, listen to me, you disciple people in their work ethic. They go, oh, so that's what's different about you. That's right. Well, where'd you get these values? What book did you read? John Maxwell, Sam Chan. Who was your, who was your go-to? Jesus. <laughs> What's that about? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. A man reaps what he sows. I sow good because I want good. I can't get good when I'm ripping people off. My, 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 my business is not just a place where I draw a paycheck 
My business is a place where I serve people in the community. No, I'm not going to rip people off. And you need to learn that same work ethic. And you need to learn those same disciplines. We have a thousand opportunities to rip people off. None of them are good. We do it right. Not because there's a law, not because somebody threatens a lawsuit, not but because we want a good Yelp review. You know what we do right? Because work is worship. And we don't rip God off. Yeah. So because of this, everybody got paranoid because he was growing in power. It just wasn't his wealth, it was his influence. And the Philistine king says, you need to move away from here. Why? Because you got a man of God and his values and his morals that is growing astronomically compared to the king of the Philistines. So, because of all the questions you've had this morning, I'm only halfway through my message right now. So I'm going to do something that I hardly ever do. I'm going to give you two points in like 30 seconds, and we're on to the last one. Everybody good with that? Sure. All right, here we go. Number four, God uses governing authorities to direct us. Sometimes we don't like how they direct us. But God says nobody has authority, that he didn't let them get the authority. And the, and the king says to Isaac, you need to move. Isaac didn't want to move. But the king says, you're moving. And how many know when the king says, you move, you move. And he did. And guess what? God blessed him more. Next we have God's people must learn the art of digging wells. I wish I had time to unpack that. Meaning what? He went around and unstopped the wells that the Philistines had stopped up. And then they came back and kept saying, I'll take that. I'll take that. And finally, he just went out and dug a well where there was no well. You know, some, we, listen, we need the art of knowing how to dig new wells in our community. We're not here to take water. We're here to give it. Okay, let's move on. Last point. Everybody read it out loud. God's blessings create community life where there is no life. Look at this. That day, so Isaac's had to keep relocating because every time he digs a well, they take it. Every time he unstops a well, they take it and he has to keep moving. Finally, the king comes to him and makes that peace treaty with him. After he makes the peace treaty, listen, it says that day he makes peace. That day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug. They said, we found water. Let me tell you, in that day, in those locations, that's a game changer. Because it was just a piece of ground that couldn't grow anything. But when you found water, suddenly it had all kinds of potentialities associated with it. And it says, he called it Sheba, and to this day, the name of the town has been called Beersheba. I challenge you to a little Bible study. Go home and research the word Beersheba and see all the historical and the history that unfolded at the town of Beersheba. Right here we read how Beersheba started. It started because Isaac dug a well. But let me tell you what a well does. Number one, a well changes traffic. Because in the arid climate, you always knew where your next stop for water was. But when new sources of water were found, now you could add it to your travel plan. So now you had an option, and sometimes it was a better option. So number one, a well had the ability to change foot traffic. Secondly, it also had the ability to change the land itself because now the land could grow crops because you had a reliable source of water. But with the traffic and the crops, 
you now have the ability that people would start staying an extra day, not just to get water, but to recover from the travel, which meant they needed overnight accommodations, and there might be somebody who would build overnight accommodations. You also need agricultural development and the transportation to get your crops out. Well, now people need to build houses. So they're moving there, building houses so they can do this, which now means when they start a family, they need a school. And you get enough people like that, and they say, we need a church. And then it becomes an economic center, and they realize the enemy, if they ever invaded, would want a place like this. And so they call the king and say, we need protection. Because we're an economic center, so please send protection. Not because something is wrong, but this could now be a place where we're targeted. Water was a game changer. And Beersheba is one of those. It became a place where people just went to get water, and it became a strategic town. God's blessing creates community life where there is no life. Can I tell you something? God can give you an idea, and you start a business, and suddenly there are jobs where there are no jobs. And there's people who have a home who otherwise would not have had a home. There are kids getting an education who would otherwise never get an education. Why? Because you dug a new well in the type of business that you're in, and it exploded, and now you can hire people. Let me tell you why Genesis 26 is one of my favorite chapters along with Daniel 1. This is history that's giving to the momentum of today. When we came to Warrington, I said, God, I want a church that changes traffic flow. I want a well that changes people's traffic pattern on Saturday, on Sunday. They would otherwise be going here, but because of the well that we dug, they're now here. I want a church that brings life and changes the flow of traffic in that community. Have you seen our traffic as you leave? Yeah. I know it's difficult, and I know it can be frustrating at times. I know, I get it. And I hear that, but you got to know on the inside, it's all I can do that when I leave and I see that line, I just want to get out of my car and go, y'all, he's faithful! <laughs> That's what I want to say. Let me tell you something. We'll wrap this up. You dig a well, and they'll come. You dig a well in your business, they'll show up. You dig a well in this community, people will come. You dig a well as a church, they'll be there. Dig a well. Learn the art of unstopping wells that still have life in them. Learn the art of finding wells that have never been dug, but have the ability to change the landscape. All because you brought life. You are a well. Come on, everybody say that with me. You are a well. Say it with me, I am a well. I am a 
the well. One more time. I and everybody said amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet this morning. Would you do that? Come on. Would you just lift your hands and just give him praise this morning? Come on, thank God for the potentiality that is in you, in your work, your business, your community, how you live. Thank God that you can be a facilitator of refreshment for somebody else's life. Come on, thank him, church.